I'm going to read all of this passage, beginning at verse 7, and then I'm going to come back and we'll work on it a little bit. we got a little extra work to do tonight, so hang in here with me, would you, and help me. As we work our way through the book of Hebrews, that's what we do on a Sunday night. It's more of a teaching type service. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works over forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Let me pause to remind us that Old Testament uh, pictures picture the principles of the Christian faith. The New Testament gives us the principles of the Christian faith. The Old Testament gives us pictures of the Christian faith. Now, Canaan is not, as we've said many times, a reference. When he talks about Canaan, he's not talking about getting into heaven. They were led out of Egypt, which is some, uh, analogous to their bondage and sin. They wandered in the wilderness, and they did not enter into rest, into rest, into the... Uh, into the victorious, restful life that's available to everyone who has been delivered from his Egypt. And he said, they did not enter into my rest. Now, he's not talking about getting into heaven or getting into Canaan as such, but into his rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today, if you harden, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked Him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that we were not able to enter because of unbelief. Life is filled with warnings. Sometimes those warnings are spoken, like a doctor who says, I don't like you. You know, you're a little overweight there, big guy. And I don't like that, or I don't like that high blood pressure. Who has not heard his mother say, if you don't want to be grounded this weekend, you better clean up the cave today. It's been a week since I've seen the floor of your room. Sometimes the warning is written, beware of dog, or warning, danger ahead, detour. Uh, 
shoplifters will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I heard a guy say one time, he said, I had a lot of those warning signs to shoplifters, and somebody kept stealing them, you know. Sometimes that warning is just on the dashboard. A little red light comes on. It says, Temp. And somebody said he saw a bumper sticker not long ago on the back of a dirty, grimy, old, beat-up van. And the, and the bumper sticker read, Don't laugh, lady. Your daughter may be in this van. <laughs> he said, I, I had an urge to pull up beside it, you know, and see. Life is filled with warnings, and most of these warnings are not wanted but needed. And a warning is as effective as two things are present. If, there is, if the warning is timely and if it is true, the warning is usually effective even if we don't need or want the warning. Now all through the fabric of the book of Hebrews are, is woven these warnings. There are six of them in the entire book. We notice the first one in the second chapter, a timely and true warning. The warning was, do not neglect your salvation. Don't drift. Having been saved, don't neglect to work out your salvation. Don't drift along. And the warning is timely and true. And we come to the second warning that's woven into the fabric of this book, and it's found in this in, in this passage I've read. It's the warning to beware of a hard heart. And he mentions that three times in the passage I've read. Be careful that your heart doesn't become hardened. Be careful about becoming hard-hearted. And it's strange that he's writing that to believers. The author of the book of Hebrews doesn't take sin lightly. Somebody said that Calvin Coolidge, when he's president, went to church one Sunday and his wife wasn't feeling well and didn't go. When he came in, Grace, his wife, asked him, well, what was the sermon about? He said just one word, sin, about sin. She said, well, what about the sermon? He said, well, I think he was against it. You, you don't have to ask the author of the book of Hebrews if he's against it. He is against it. And the sin he's warning us about is the sin of allowing your heart to become hard. Now, he's writing this passage, this letter, to Jewish readers who have a background of information that you and I may not have. As a matter of fact, the background to this statement is in two passages of scriptures, two passages of scripture I want us to turn to. The first is in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, and the second is in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Now, we need to turn to that passage. We're going to do a little Bible study here. So put something in the place of Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to go back and find the background to what this author is talking about. He's quoting some reference in the past to which the Jewish readers had familiarity. All right? Now, the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus. Now, what you have in this Exodus passage is a body of people under the leadership of Moses that, have ex that has experienced the Exodus. They have been delivered from Egypt. They have escaped Pharaoh, and they're in the wilderness. Now, now verse 1 begins, 
Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by, the sta- by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, you may not know this, but it was a, from, the, from, the, from the place they left to the place they, to which they were going was 11 days' journey. Just a short, short distance, really. 11 days walking from where they left to where they were going, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It was going to take 11 days to get where they needed to go, because it, t- it took them 40 years to get there. And all this time, wandering in the wilderness, they, uh, they lost their purpose for life, and they, their eyes became ingrown, and out in the wilderness, God brought them to a place called Rephidim, and there He brought them to a test. Now, I want you to write in the margin of your Bible, the test of no water. They ran out of water. It was a test of God for them. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that when they got to the place, got to this place in their pilgrimage of no water, that the first thing they would do would be, well, let's ask God for it. Because they had been eyewitness to His deliverance from bondage. They had, went, they had gone through the plagues. They had seen God divide the Red Sea. They had witnessed the fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day which guided them in the wilderness. You would think they would say, well, we're out of water, so it's time to ask God for water. But what they did is in verse 2, they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And this whole sordid story goes on until verse 7, and it says, and in verse 6, God struck a rock and brought them water, and He named the place that they were in Massah and Meribah. Now, if your Bible has a little notation like mine, beside the word Massah, it has the word test, and behind, beside the word Meribah, it has the word quarrel, because those, that's what those two words mean. Now, watch this. When God brought them to the test in their life of no water, instead of trusting God and turning to God for their need and provision, they quarreled and they grumbled against God and against His leaders. And they tested God. I mean, they really, you know, provoked Him. They, they tested Him. The people were not willing to wait for God to provide. Now... What is this? How does this apply to me and you? Well, all through life, my friend, you're going to be brought to the tests of no water. There are going to be times when you're going to come and there's not enough money to meet the bills. And you're going to come to periods in your life when you're going to need, you're going to pray for, for health for some sick friend and no health is going to come. There'll be none provided. And there'll be times when you're going to seek and try to, 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 to recover a lost relationship and you're going to really work at it and there's going to be no restoration. Now, what are you going to do in those situations? That's the test. Are you going to... Look to God, or you're going to grumble and complain and allow your stomach to churn inside of you. That's the big test. 
Now, this is what God said. You, I, you met my test with quarrels. Let me ask you a question. When His test comes in your life, and tests come every day, do you meet the test with faith and trust, or do you meet it with quarrels? Big question. All right? Now, we're working our way back to Hebrews, but on our way, we're going to get into the neighborhood of Numbers chapter 13. So we're going to stop off there for a minute. Now remember this. Get, get the picture now. Moses is saying to the people at Rephidim, we've got a marvelous opportunity to trust God here. I mean, we need these, this water, and there's no way we're going to get it for ourselves. We've got a tremendous opportunity to trust God. And they didn't. They failed to test. All right, we come to chapter 13 and verse 25. Now, chapter 13 of, of uh, Numbers is the story of the spying out of the land. They've come to, to the very threshold of Canaan, to the threshold of rest, and they send in the spies, and they come back, and you know the story from Sunday school. There was this bad report. We can't take that land. I mean, there, it's rich and full of... Uh, of uh, of great agricultural products, and man, it's wonderful in there. But the folks in Canaan are like giants. We're like grasshoppers. By the way, Peter Lord calls that the grasshopper complex, and he said, what you think about yourself is what you think other people think about you. And he said, reason why they thought these other folks in Canaan thought they were grasshoppers because that's what they thought about themselves. They, they didn't have a proper self-image. Well, they went in, they came back and said, No go, we can't make it. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept. Now this is what, came, this is what Joshua and Caleb said. What a marvelous opportunity for us to trust in the power of God and the provision of God. What a marvelous opportunity for us to see God's hand at work. We can take them. Let's go in and take them. And when the test came, that always comes in life, tomorrow you'll meet one perhaps, they failed the test, they did not trust in God. Now keep that in mind and underline it because it's going to be, the bottom line is going to be that in just a moment. Now we're on our way back to Hebrews, but we're going to pass through the neighborhood of Psalm 95 and we need to turn to that. Psalm 95, verse 7. For, chapter, for Psalm 95, verse 7 is what the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 quotes. Now look at this writing to the Jews who had this background. Now, their forefathers were out there in the wilderness, headed for the land of rest, a land of Canaan, and they absolutely blew it because why? They didn't trust in God. They didn't wait for Him. When they got to no water, instead of turning to God for that provision, they quarreled and grumbled. When they had an opportunity to... to, to go into the land of God, into the land of Canaan, and trust God... Uh, uh, for his provision, they fail that. So verse 7 begins. or Let's go to 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His, past, of, of, of his pasture, the sheep of His hand. He said, we need to absolutely surrender our life to God. We need to live on the basis of surrendering to God. 
Oh, I hope you're catching on what I'm trying to say. The rest life is the life that's lived in absolute submission and surrender to God. The rest life is this life that's lived in absolute surrender to Him. Oh, He said, let us come and surrender all to God. And not be like this. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. And I underlined that one day and said, isn't it amazing that we keep on putting God to a test when we have seen Him working through the years in marvelous ways. Though, they, though they've seen my work. And, and, and verse 10, For forty years I loathed that generation. Now I, I have a feeling, I wondered if God looks down on us tonight and says, I loathe that generation. Now what caused this, this abhorrence that that God felt toward that generation, a lack of trustful surrender to Him. A lack of trusting in Him. For without faith it's impossible to please Him. Let me tell you something. Every time you meet a test and try to deal with it in your strength and your stomach churns up and you quarrel about it and complain to God, it causes Him to loathe that. He despises that. He says, that because these people err in their heart. Now I want you to put a big star by this statement, because this is the theme of the whole thing. God has, when we are faced with a test, write this down, some of you are, all of you that love Jesus, write this down, and mother and God has, when we are faced with a test, a rest. God has, when we are faced with a test, a rest, a cease from striving mentality. So that when we hit a barrier and can't get around it, God wants us just to rest in Him. You know when you begin to live, and I begin to live the victorious life, you know when the Spirit-filled life begins to be lived out in us? It's when we come to these tests in life that face us every day. And instead of striving and, 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 and struggling and railing against it, we just trust Him. And He said, the problem is, you err in your heart. I mean, on the outside, you may be saying, oh, everything's just great, I'm facing a test, and yet down deep inside, God knows that you resent it. Reminds me of the story of these guys that, in, in the Korean conflict that, that lived in one of the Korean villages, and they had them a little house, and they were sharing it together, and they got them a little houseboy, a Korean houseboy. And they were always playing practical jokes on that houseboy. You've heard this story? They nailed his shoes to the floor, He'd just smile, you know, and it's like it was fine. They'd short sheet his bed. He'd just smile and everything was great, just no problem. They'd put cans of water over the door. He'd go in, they'd water shower down on him. He'd just smile, no problem. One day they got feeling bad about it, what they were doing to him. And they decided that's not the right thing to do to that fellow. So they called him in. He said, uh, 
He said, uh, Kim said, uh, we've had a change of heart. He said, we're not going to nail your shoe. No, no more nailing shoes to floor? He said, no, no more nailing shoes to floor. He said, no more short sheet bed? They said, no more promise, cross my heart, no more short sheeting bed. He said, no more putting water on door? They said, no more putting water on door, promise, cross my heart. He said, good, no more spitting soup. Now, uh, some of us, some of us just, you know, we, we, we encounter these tests in life, and, and it seems like, you know, that we, we we're accepting it, everything's fine, all the time we're spitting in the soup. I mean, we hate it. And the psalmist said, the man who has learned to trust me is a man who in his heart lives this restful, surrendered life without resentment and without anger. Now here's the warning, verse 12. We're back in Hebrews chapter 3. He said, Take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you, in any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Now skip verse 13. We'll come back to that in a minute. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Now, it sounds just like something we looked at the last time we studied Hebrews chapter 3. And he's not saying that you're going to have a calling from God. He's not saying that you're going to partake partake of Christ if you hold out to the end of your life as a Christian. He doesn't say that at all. He said, you are already a partaker of in Christ, if you are a believer. And your perseverance and your continuance is the proof that you are a partaker of Christ. Now here is the key, watch this, here is the key to the life of rest. That is not my life improved, but His life imparted. He said, you are a partaker of Christ, and here is the key to the rest life. Just partake of Him. Just live on the basis of Him. Just live surrendered to His life, to His power. Now, you say, well, how does that relate to a hard heart? Let me tell you something. Now, I think you can identify with this. The people that I know who are living, who have lived the Christian life and who have become hardened and discouraged, who have dropped by the wayside the people who have become cynical and bitter, the people who have quit in the Christian life, the Christian walk, are the people who have tried to live the Christian life in their strength. Now, there is nothing anymore frustrating and, and, and difficult and exhausting than a person who tries to live the Christian life with his resources, with his strength, and in his ability. And so the the warning is that you need to partake of Jesus. You need to surrender to Christ and allow him to live his life out through you because if you don't, you eventually will become hard and you'll quit. And the people who are making it in the Christian faith, the people who are making it in the Christian life, 
are the people who have learned the secret just to live on the basis of trusting and partaking of Jesus. Allowing Him to live His life out through them. Allowing Him to love through them. Somebody said, you know, I can't live the Christian life. Nobody can live the Christian life. It's impossible for you and me to live the Christian life. The only person who can live the Christian life is Christ. And Christ lives His life out in us when we trust Him, when we surrender all to Him. Now there are two excesses that come to the surface. The first excess is found in verses 15 through 16, and that excess says, this will never happen to me. Yes, it will. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews said that everybody who came out of Egypt fell into the same trap. It will happen to you. If you don't live on the basis of partaking of Him, if you don't live on the basis of submission to Him, you will get a hard heart and have some, in some cases. And the second excess is that I'll take care of this matter later. One of these days, I'm going to start living the, the, the Spirit-controlled life. One of these days, I'm going to start living, submitting to Christ and living out His life through me. One of these days, I'm going to do that. Verse 19 says, there will come a time when you will not have the capacity to do that. Now, how can I help others? Keep, how can I keep this from happening to others? Verse 13 is the answer to that. Go back to that verse of chapter 3 says, Encourage one another day after day so that they will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you see, a part of our commitment is mutual encouragement of our brothers and sisters. How long has it been since you've done that to somebody? I encourage you. I, I affirm you. Keep on in there. Keep trusting Christ. Keep on calling on Him. And, and when difficulty comes, just encouraging them. You lay hold on Jesus. You trust Him. You live out your life letting Him live in you. That's a part of our responsibility. Now there are three applications. I'll get these with you and quit. Number one. The test of life come to soften our spirits and not harden our hearts. The tests in life come to soften our spirits and not harden our hearts. They are to soften the soil and make me sensitive to God. They come as timely experiences to break the stubborn will. Now, some people tonight just resent that test that you're going through. You despise it. You hate it. That test is there in order to make you sensitive to God, to help you to... Tr it's an occasion. It's an opportunity for you to trust the Lord. Second, rest means I accept what God wants more than what I want. When I come to a barrier, and I come to them all the time, I want relief. I want out of it. I want some help. You know what God wants? When I come to a barrier, He wants maturity. He wants maturity. He wants to refine me. And rest means that I want what God wants in my life more than I want what I want. 
You know what can happen? If I come to a test tomorrow, if I encounter a test, and I say this, God, I want what you want in this situation. Show me yourself in this. Show me your power. Teach me your lesson. Show me what you want to teach me in this. Demonstrate your love in this. I'm willing for you to have what you want in this test for me. That's what rest is. Third, when resting accompanies testing, divine surprises replace human striving. Did you get that? When resting accompanies testing, now, I hope that you haven't listened all night and don't understand what resting is. Surrendering to Him, waiting on Him in the test. When that accompanies the test, divine surprises replace human striving. In other words, it becomes a tremendous place or opportunity for God to show Himself. Now, watch this carefully. When you come to a test in life and you meet that test not with grumbling or with anxiety or complaining or panic, but you meet that test with rest, with trustful surrender, you get ready to see God do something great. For every time in the, in the Bible that that happens, every time that testing is accompanied by resting, the next, the next thing you're going to see is a miracle from God. You get ready for God to do something great in your life. And the converse of that is true, that if every time you meet a test with grumbling and complaining, you just mark it down. God is never going to be able to do anything in you and with you and through you. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much of the Scripture we don't understand, but we understand this, that there is a response that you desire with life's test. And that response is clear that you desire the response of trustful surrender and a sensitive heart anticipating God at work. Give us that kind of heart. And we do not pray that the test would be removed, but that you'd give us the response you desire through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose name I pray. Now, there are three invitations tonight. One invitation is an invitation to follow Christ in faith, Repent of sin and turn to Christ for salvation, for church membership, for rededication of your life to Him. I hope that you'll do what God wants you to do and that you'll do it right away upon standing as we sing together. Would you while we stand?